We are. Slice and Dice number 25. We, we've hit the quarter century. Is, is 25 really a milestone? I think it kind of is. They, to our three listeners, it may mean something. Mm. I'll send them each a gift certificate to Dunkin' Donuts. You will. The first three listeners. I'm assuming there's only three. If there are more than that, fuck you, fight over it. <sighs> to the death. That's or at mean. least to the pain. Because to the pain works and, and Princess Bride. So right. It was Princess Bride, right? Uh, yeah, it was yeah. Princess Ride yeah. to the pain. Yeah. So here we are. Uh, a short week, finally. We didn't wait a month to do another podcast. So, Well, this is one of those real world getting in the way with things later on. And well, honestly, the movie like, schedule coming out I the way it like did. I also like to look at it as we, uh, you know, quality movies coming yeah. out back to back. The, the, uh, the, the movie we were going to podcast about being X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah. Is certainly fitting of of a podcast discussion for our crowd, right? As small as that crowd might be. Well, I mean, you, you, we we don't know. For all we know, well, actually, we do know because of who we what we use for a, a uh, repository for our podcasts. By the time we had a whole bunch of downloads, we would feel it. Right, it would hit our uh, hit us in our pocketbook. Right, so I'm rocking the shipyard export today, and I'm going uh, Sam Adams Boston Lager. The only reason I'm going Sam Adams and didn't go shipyard is that's what I've got a twelve of at the house. All right. So I was like, eh, I know when I get done here and get done whatever errands, I'll be going home to. It's gonna be a long night. What you're saying? Right. You got to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> right. So a six of Sammy, then go home to a, probably six or eight shipyards. I'll feel bloated and tired, and and probably sleep through a movie tonight, but. Whatever. I saw the movie I cared about now. Right. Right. So what else is going on out there? Well, I think considering the Marvel theme... Yeah. Did you notice... Was there a Stanley appearance in this movie? No. Because you have heard that he did a... That he has officially recorded his appearance for Guardians of the Galaxies. I'm sure he has. But here's what's funny... It's not good when Stan Lee admits that he has no idea what the scene was that he recorded, what it meant. He didn't understand it, but all he knew was that there was a pretty girl. Have we hit that point with Stan Lee appearances at 91 that he doesn't need to do this anymore and it's starting to feel out and out pathetic? Well, they, they've always... It's always just been out of respect. This uh, I, I know, get the respect extending, factor. Extending him this little olive branch, you know, respecting the fact that a lot of these were his creations and stuff. My whole problem with Stan Lee, and, and I guess maybe I'm overthinking it, maybe, maybe I'm too harsh, is that he's always just sort of had this arrogance about him, like... I'm Stan Lee, and right. and I'm entitled to be put on this pedestal. And it, you know, it comes to a point for me where it isn't just yes, I respect what he did for for this medium, absolutely, and, and for what but, he stood for for so long when the medium hadn't been taking off. Sure, um, he's got to be living the dream now. Well, it was for what he can do. They know that they're going to wake up from that dream real quick at that age. But at some point, it, it became less about this this cute little old man just you know sticking him in this thing for for fun things, and now it just seems like it's an obligation, and it's one that he feeds into. That, right. You know, well, He's wasn't not that movie he was throwing a, a bit of a fit to 
a year or so ago, maybe two, where it didn't look like he was going to have a cameo and he was getting a little pissy about it. And I may be speaking out my ass, but I could have sworn there was one at maybe two or three years back. Maybe. I, I recall. See, so part much. of me thought he did have an appearance in Ed Days of Future Past because, it, and I don't know, I haven't dug into whether or not he, he did does. not. Do you know that for a fact? I, I am 99% positive he because does not have the, one. The, the, the dude, the old doddering man that was walking with a cane that that Mystique becomes in Paris to get away from the, the shenanigans and goings-on mm. looked vaguely like Stan Lee wearing a mm. bad chapeau. No, I... Uh, it, one thing, when he does get cameos, they're not making him out so no, normally not you, obvious. Right, normally you can tell that it's um, Stan Lee. But I, I believe I read somewhere where he does not okay. have a cameo in this film. Yeah, I, the, the, when I read this quote, I was just horrified. I can tell you I don't understand what it was or why I did it. It was with a girl. A pretty girl. But you'll get a kick out of it. Dude doesn't even know where he is anymore. <laughs> and and I, I'm with you. I agree with the respect factor. And I acknowledge what he's meant to the medium. And there had to have been some times where maybe in his mind it wasn't worth it. We're not talking about... It may be hard to believe... I'm going to throw this at you in a way that you you will appreciate, I think. You diss Boston Boston fan, sports fan, period, for being very narrow mile, for being short-sighted and forgetting how lean some years were that they live in the now and they become spoiled by it. Mm -hmm. And I'll think, uh, to a certain extent, I would argue that young up-and-coming comic book nerd... That kid who's been used to turning on FX and seeing Thor mm. and Captain America and everything else has no idea of the dark and lean years that the nerd went through to get to the point we're at now, which is borderline overload right. on comic book films. You could argue, if anything, we're getting too many now. And that, and I know there are going to be people out there that will say, well, there's so many stories on tap. Mm-hmm. Right. But are they the kind of stories that are worthy of the big screen treatment? You and I both remember that in the 80s, the first Marvel film ever was fucking Howard the Duck. We are a long way removed from Marvel Studios doing Howard the Duck. Right. And and I guess maybe, maybe here's what I'm going to spin it and say. If our payment for Stan Lee's resilience through all this is for him to appear in a movie, okay... But it's tiresome, and if we're at a point where he honestly doesn't even get the scene anymore, what good is it? Well, I mean, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody that he's in these things. You know, and some people are, you know, it's it's what they go and they look for. You know, it's it's kind of like he's almost like that Easter egg now in, in these Marvel flicks. Well, I think he's. Very much the Easter egg, which is why I brought up the potential that that character and Miss, that that thing Mystique became could very well have been the Easter egg. But you're right; to this point, they haven't been. They've been very obvious. Stan, uh, Stan Smith, wow, well, Stan Lee. <laughs> I mean, and to be fair, I mean, we've never met the man live. I mean, we, and I, I have I'm heard sure he's a real nice guy. I'm, yep. You know, he he loves the medium. I I just I just don't. I don't need to hear him talk about his cameo and, and how right. it's how it's almost essential that this be a part of this anymore. Just he, he's just not 
he doesn't feel humble to me when they, when you hear him talk about these types of things. And he doesn't have to be, I guess. You know, that's just mine. I'm just, yeah, I'm I'm tired of hearing about. Stan Here's Lee the deal. And, I will still buy Playboys. I don't, or, or still buy the occasional Playboy. Don't need to keep C. Hugh Hefner to promote these things. <laughs> I'm still down for the Playboy. If they put the right person in, I guarantee I'll buy it. Same way on a Marvel movie. It doesn't matter if Stan Lee's in these things or not. I acknowledge what he is to the art form. And I acknowledge what he's given us. This unbelievable world that we're finally seeing realized on the big screen. Don't need him to be in every single one of these to understand how integral he was to the art. Right. So, J.J. Abrams. I've heard of him. Has released a video, a minute and a half long. That basically promotes an idea called, and I've got to make sure I get this right, Force for Change. That for a $10 donation, people will be put in for a a random drawing to to appear in Episode 7. Okay. What's your thought process on this? Good or bad thing? Um... Well, I I guess a couple things come to mind. Uh, I'm going to presume that... Being in Star Wars Episode Seven is probably not in any kind of major or speaking capacity. It's just, it's just something you could sit there and go, "Oh, there I am over there." If it, right, they, and they, the they, second thing that comes to my mind is, what are you doing with this money? Because you're you're backed by Disney, so it shouldn't be going to this damn film. There's got to be right. a reason this money. It, it, here's what I understand. Have you watched the video? No, I haven't. All right, what? Well, I'll give a takeaway from the video that not enough people are talking about. But first, what he are, what he says is that they're going to start some kind of organization that's going to... T- it was worded so vaguely, it was almost like to help take care of the issues around the world. He may have thrown the name, the word children in there, I don't know. Okay. But it, it was just a very vague look. All of this money will go to helping causes from around the world. And okay. as long as it doesn't line Disney's pockets, I don't care. Yeah. Because you're right. We're not going to get some dude who's going to have a whole lot of speaking parts because they threw 10 bucks and it was drawn. I don't think he'll have any speaking part. And I don't I'll, think he can have a speaking part because it's all unionized. Right. Um, I, I love the fact whatever. that it's also a flat $10 donation because yeah. that takes the mystique out. Well, <laughs> that wasn't intentional. No, no pun intended. Um, but it also means that the person who can only afford 10 bucks and really mm-hmm. feels like this is a isn't going to have way less of a chance than the person that, that can afford a million. Right. Now, I get it. In theory, if a person donates a million dollars across $10 donations, mm-hmm. you'd think their name would be in there that many more times. I get that. It's the same idea of going back to okay. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Veruca Salt's family could afford to buy all those cases of chocolate. Then right. she, her likelihood of the golden ticket is going to increase. Sure. However, she still has to have the right thing. It isn't just buying her the spot. If that golden ticket wasn't one of those cases, she's not getting drawn. If it's if it's just a charitable ploy, you know, that they're actually going to put this money towards some some good use and stuff like that, I don't have any problem with that. If they if if they can if Disney and Star Wars and all this stuff can promote some goodwill on top of the, the stuff they're doing in the studios, I don't care. Why not? Well, and, and, and you know. What I liked about this is I really felt this, and, and it, I may be giving him way too much credit, but I thought that this was J.J. Abrams basically taking a hold of the Star Wars franchise and saying, you know what, 
if this is mine, I'm going to go somewhere with this mm-hmm. and do something with it. Because, I, and I know there's going to be people out there, when I say this, will say Harry Potter, actually, or James Bond. But in my mind, the most beloved franchise is Star Wars. And like I say, I'll acknowledge this. From middle-aged nerd? Absolutely. Right. Uh, that it, to me, Harry Potter is different because you're talking people that grew up with it while reading the books and stuff, and I get sure. it. Or that you had adults that got so they really loved it because it was a book that they read with their kids. Right. Awesome. But for people out of the '70s and '80s, Star Wars was it for nerd, right? And, and to there was that fear when Lucas was walking away. Maybe not as great as there should have been. <laughs> That we could have been given something watered that down. That he might come back. Well, and that's the, that's that's a great point. And I love the fact that Abrams is doing this. And I now here's my little my little nod. Anybody, I highly recommend bringing up the movie. It's a, again, it's a little minute and a half long release. And what's fascinating is in the middle of the movie. Literally, an old-type Jim Henson-esque creature goes walking in the background that Abram stops long enough to acknowledge the thing being there and kind of tells it to move along. I loved it. Because one of the knocks on episodes one through three were there was so many digital creations, there was something lost in it. That a lot of those old Henson-esque puppets, well, Henson-esque nothing, they were Henson puppets. Frank Oz was fucking Yoda. And... That as we get that they're puppets, but no one's going into these movies saying that alien is real. Right. So fine, go with practical effects. Yeah. And this creature, for every single movement, this was a practical effect he had walking through. It was some dude in a costume that was so elaborate. It was some creature with this long neck thing, almost like a hammerhead style thing, with a basket on his back with like little babies sticking out of it that each moved around individually. And it intrigued me that maybe we'll return to the practical effect in Star Wars, which, as cheesy as it may come off now, still there's something that just works about it. Right. And I, I, I miss the practical effect. And I do acknowledge that Star, episodes one through three, for those people who say there's almost something that looks too clean, my, my comment would be it's too crisp. Everything's too fluid. The problem with CGI is... They don't put the flaws in movement in CGI, and it becomes a problem. You can tell right away if you have a physical, a practical effect over CGI for the most part, and that's what it is. Is everybody has a hitch to their step? One of the uh, comments I heard yesterday, and actually it's a, a Corolla uh, episode. Which have you listened to the one where they were discussing Chewbacca of all things? No. And they talked about how, as much as it's a dude in a costume. You can't recast Peter Mayhew. Or let me rephrase, you can't recast Chewbacca. It's got to be Peter Mayhew. And it's not just about the movement of the eyes. It's the whole movement of the body. There's a certain movement that he has when he walks that not every seven foot one tall dude in that costume would have. And as a result, fans have come used to seeing Chewbacca walk that way. They can carry themselves that way. And any practical effect comes off that way. We've got to have have to recast Peter Mayhew. Yeah, admittedly, that dude's on his... Well, that's just it. Can he even physically do that? Well, clearly he can, but... He can. The the chances are you won't see many much movement from him because he's had a ton of hip problems over the course of the years, which, as a seven-foot-one dude, you're going to. 
Right. And he's in his 70s anyway. But at some point, yes, they're going to have to carry, recast Chewbacca. Either that or Chewbacca's going to die. Well, I'm predicting that, and it could go hand in hand, I'm predicting that Han Solo dies in Episode 7. I could see that. I really, I, I could certainly, certainly see that. Um, first thing is he'll go out. He'll go out a hero and blaze of glory. But and I think he's going to die. It's so. If you're trying to hand this off to a younger generation, that's a great way to go about it. It's tougher to kill off a Luke Skywalker. If you're trying to bring the Force back to the galaxy, you can't kill off Luke Skywalker easily. You can make the same argument with Princess Leia. As much as most people that weren't into the the good versus bad thing, which those people were into Luke versus Vader. If you were into kind of the bad guy, it was all about Han Solo. And you could acknowledge Han Solo's death meaning something to this franchise. Right. As long as it happens on the screen. If they just killed him off before Episode 7, wouldn't have worked. Right. You notice we haven't heard any talk about Natalie Portman? Well, you wouldn't. She died, did she? Well, yeah. <laughs> when did she die? Where did she die? She dies giving birth. She gets. Does she? she? Yeah, she names the kids, well, and she died, and then that's it. I don't remember her dying though. It's been a long time. Yeah, since no. I heard she. Yeah, she dies during childbirth. That's the whole thing. Is uh, her kids are taken away from her? She's she lives long well, enough remember, to name them. I remember that. I just don't remember her dying. And uh, but she she doesn't make it. But that's that wasn't made up for episodes one through three. That was no, no, that no, was no, in the the so. canon anyway. Right. For what canon there is, which the Star Wars canon's an interesting thing because so much of it's being made up along the way that people mm. want to call canon. Yeah. You can't tell me for a second that George Lucas had literally banged out all nine of no. these books. No. I, I always acknowledge the fact that calling it episode four was a great trick. That if this franchise took off, he was guaranteeing himself. A chance to revisit. And considering the way that the, the dollar values broke down, because if you remember right, he only got like 10% of the, of the box office. But he, his thing was licensing, yeah. the toys and everything else. He got the biggest piece that we'd ever heard of. Because toys from movies and shit, it really hadn't taken off. Until Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And those displays were in every, in every store. And all the kids that were like us... Had those toys, you had the old collection, you played every new one they released. Luke Skywalker was released five different times, right? Yeah. And you had all of them. Even though, as even I was getting cynical about that. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of Star Wars toys. I had them all. Uh, up through Empire. By then I was hitting eighth grade. It was getting a little tricky to keep saying, Mom and Dad, I think I need, I need the Jabba the Hutt set when I'm in high school. Right. Well, I was, yeah, well, I was a little bit older than you, too. Right. So. so, while on the topic, should we discuss Garrett Edwards being given episode, well, the first spinoff? Yeah, we don't, we don't know much about it yet. Um, nope. Yeah. It's more about the choice of Garrett Edwards. Uh, I, you know, I, he's, he's definitely got, the right visual style, I think, to pull it off. Um, I really, I'm more concerned about who's going to write it than I am who's going to direct it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I mean, because I've seen enough of between his uh, his low budget monsters and Godzilla to say that whatever he's going to give us is going to look good. Right. 
Um, but he he doesn't really. If he's not given something from a story perspective and from a character perspective that's quality, I don't know that he yet has the chops to pull more out of people than what the script calls for. And, and certainly Godzilla would be a, a great acknowledgement yeah, of that. It was, it was, it's Achilles' heel is its weak human characters. Mm-hmm. And Edwards didn't do anything to pull anything more out of them than what they were given. And they weren't given much. Cranston, I mean, I don't think Cranston needs a lot of direction. Cranston's no. just a good actor. And, but and when he, he comes kinda, out of this still looking like a good actor, but sure. not given much to but work Aaron with. Aaron Taylor Johnson oh. and Elizabeth Olsen, who I don't think are bad actors. No, but they just weren't given anything. They weren't given anything. Um, I don't think they're good enough to elevate things on their own, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And Gareth Edwards, I'm not sure, is the right guy to... To push them and pull more from them than, than what they're capable of giving you on their own. Um, visually, sure, uh, I'm good with that. I don't have a problem with the choice. Yeah, here's my thing. We don't even know what spinoff well, he's right because we only we I. They've announced what the three were going to be, right? I, I think it's all speculation. They were talking about Yoda. They're well, no, about no. They they they've released the timeline. Oh, the timeline, sure, but we don't know what character these. No, they, we do. They released no. that like two weeks ago, didn't what, they? What are the? What are the uh... It was going to be. Uh, they're going to do a Han Solo spinoff, a Boba Fett spinoff, and an interesting one called Red si- uh, Red Five. I have not heard anything other than rumor and speculation off of. Well, I thought thinking. that that had that had all been officially announced. Because the Red 5 one I find interesting. Yeah. Because Red 5 being the call sign that Luke Skywalker used. Right. But this would be almost like a Rogue Squadron then kind of story. Right. Which would be fascinating. It would be interesting to get to kind of get into the life of X-Wing pilot. Don't know how that translates to a big screen rendition. I haven't heard any of that. But for me... What's kind of baffling, well, not baffling, but what I find fascinating is the timing of it. Because the announcement came within the week that Godzilla was kicking ass and taking names. And what I need to know, and I don't know that we ever will, is whether or not the decision was made because Godzilla was a success, monetarily, or because Godzilla was a success visually. And I don't, to me, those are two totally different things. You could argue they go hand in hand. You could argue that if we got another Roland Emmerich piece of shit, that thing disappeared quick. It rolled out, and if I'm not mistaken, week one, it still did fine. But it just had no staying power. I'm not sure that, uh, I'm not sure the <clears throat> money piece of this had a whole lot to, I think, I think it was all, it's driven by money in, in the fact that it doesn't matter. You can announce that Adam Sandler's going to direct it, and it's still going to make a freaking billion. It's a Star Wars film. A billion dollars at the right. box office. Um, you know, I still don't. I'd still argue that the vast majority of just moviegoer that isn't nerd moviegoer, that you, they still couldn't tell you that Gareth Edwards directed oh, I would agree with you Godzilla. <laughs> I would certainly, or, or, agree. or certainly what he's done outside of Godzilla. Um, but whatever. I mean, 
I always, I struggle. It's almost like, I'll make the NFL coaching analogy. That, at least from the nerd perspective, they think that there's just this handful of directors that are capable of directing these types of flicks. And in, in, in NFL, it's how how these same coaches keep getting Get recycled, recycled to go coach. And look, they've had no success at this team, so why do they think they're going to have success with this team? You know, it's the same with movies. Give some guy a shot. There's a lot of good young directors out there. Gareth Edwards, I think, is one of them who's yeah. shown some potential. I will say this. There are people, a lot of people, that love Monsters. Yeah. I I, I saw it, and it is what it is. Right. They did a lot for a very small budget. I'll right. say that. Yeah. And, but I, I don't get the absolute love and adoration that this film seems to receive. Right. I certainly can see, though, from doing Monsters, how we get cast or placing the role of director for a Godzilla film. There's a direct translation there. Right. Whether or not that translates to a Star Wars film is another thing entirely. Right. But for me, it's somewhat about the directing and the visuals, but it's a lot about who is writing it. Is mm-hmm. the script tight? Is it is it not full of these just glaring holes? And, you know, do they... Do, can you... Step away from this attitude of, well, it's just a popcorn movie. It's a summer movie. It doesn't have to make total sense. Yeah, you know, it, it, it does. It does. It should. It, it, well, and here's the thing to remember, though. As much as Nerd Boy may embrace this, Internet Flame Boy, whatever you want to call him, will embrace the movie. They'll go see it, and you'll get your box office. Mm-hmm. But they're the first to bitch if there are plot holes. Mm-hmm. And they bitch a lot, and sometimes that well, there there is a lot. we do, but sometimes there's a backlash that they create that becomes problematic for moving forward the franchise. You've already called out Star Wars is a different animal entirely, though. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you do with Star Wars. At least now, any Star Wars release will do some kind of success. Sure. Whether or not Gareth Edwards is going to make this a great film i don't know i i think a lot of it like you said kind of goes along with what kind of writing do we have and what momentum do we have from episode seven right well you know and to, to be fair the only thing we should be worrying about right now is jj abrams going to make a good star right. wars episode seven because it all hinges on him because mm-hmm. if he fucks this up then he could, he could fuck up the future of this franchise right. completely yeah, it, it, because the franchise is already ailing as it is. To some degree. I mean, there's there's a long gap from the last episode. There's a generation of young kids right now that haven't... They, they've grown up based on whatever their middle-aged parents have educated them on. They haven't seen this for themselves yet. Mm-hmm. So it's important to capture that next generation of, of Star Wars fans if you plan on taking it well into the future. Or you're just going to have a, you know, a theater full of fifty-year-olds. Which, let's be honest, <laughs> yeah, well, that aren't would... far from starting to die off, right? <laughs> Disney's investment they need to protect. Yeah. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that 
they are monitoring what's going on with Abrams, I, I, which is no knock on Abrams. I think he's a great director. Monitor what he's seen. doing, but stay out of his way. Too, right, he's proven. Don't that. dictate everything yeah. to him. Just make sure that what we're getting is what people need to see. Yeah. So Quentin Tarantino <laughs> has announced that there is a whole lot of footage that he shot for Django. Yeah. And he would like to release all of it uncut as one master release but done as a miniseries to a cable television show. Yeah. Good or bad? I don't want to see a miniseries. Just, just throw it onto a DVD and sell it to me that way. I agree. Um, this smacks of the whole... Plus, what TV station is going to pick up Django Unchained and show it the way it needs to be shown other than a pay station? It would have to be a pay station. Absolutely. Even though I was sitting there thinking about it last night as I'm reading about this, language isn't the problem in a Django movie. Well, well, it's one of the problems. Obscenity isn't. Right. Violence in the in-bomb would be the problem. Right? Sure. Well, I guess that's two problems. Um, because the language itself, you're not... I don't remember the F-bomb being... Well, I can't say that. Now I think about it. Samuel L. Jackson's character certainly threw down <laughs> the F-bomb. The F and M-bombs in multiple yeah. ways, in ways that I didn't think you could do. Scrabble players <laughs> would be blown away at the combinations he was making. Right. Um, but this just really does. It's maximally... It's not an knock on Tarantino because Tarantino's Tarantino. But the fact of the matter is the smacks of me as, well, this is... In effect, in deleted footage. Right. Well, if it's deleted, yeah, and you're not creating anything new here, it you didn't feel it belonged in the two and three quarter hour cut we already had. Yeah. Then it's lesser material that didn't mean as much to the plot. Then release it as a Blu-ray and let's right. move on. Yeah, I, I would I would do something with that. I, I but yeah, I don't I don't need to see this. Uh, on the small screen, you know, I, like I said, the, the only, the, only the pay cable stations are the only ones who could even possibly pick this up and, and show it in the format that it's meant to be shown. Yeah, HBO Cinemax stars, it's yeah. gotta be one of those. And it's, is that really worth your effort? You know, I, yeah, no, it, it, it's not, and I don't, well, I can't say they wouldn't invest in it, because I'm sure one would, but you're talking about a four-week run here, because he wants to do it as just a four-week miniseries. Yeah. So it's not like there's going to be some big uptick in viewership here for mm -hmm. What you would be creating is something that's going to be pirate, pirated like crazy all over the internet. If Netflix wanted to do something like this, it might be a little more interesting. It may, it may, I never even consider the Netflix. Piece. It might be. Let's just say it might be more worth their time to throw it onto a vehicle like Netflix, and just throw the whole thing up at one time. No, it doesn't make sense for for them to put it on something like HBO for that exact reason. Nobody is going to the uptick in subscribers to HBO or, or Cinemax or that is not going to be significant be for for a four week window. If, if Game of Thrones isn't bringing more people right. on, this isn't going to bring more yeah. people on. Um, no, I, I just, I don't need to see it. I, love, I like Django Unchained the way it is. I like the movie a lot. I would watch the director's cut extended, absolutely, but just give it to me in, in, in a DVD or a Blu-ray rental. Right. 
That's all yeah. I need. Well, but I, I, I will admit, I like your idea of a Netflix call-out, because I would argue that there are... I, I haven't seen the numbers, obviously. I have no idea what they are. But I have to believe that Netflix subscribers probably outnumber subscribers of the pay channels by I now. I don't think so. It would stand a reason. I mean... I would think so. Sure. There's a reason why Netflix... Because you and I have to... Well, Ooh. at least I remember, and i got to believe you do. Back eight years ago, when Netflix was just starting up, and the commercial campaign that that thing was on, and it always showed, like, people in a classroom or a boardroom, and there was a, a, a cowboy, and there was a mutant, and there was this... And it was all about being able to request your movies online and get them at home. Mm-hmm. Um... There's a reason why Netflix doesn't have to advertise anymore. It's because everyone knows who it is. Most people have Netflix, or at least know somebody that has Netflix. That would be a great venue. If you're really going to do it as a pay channel, Netflix is a good call-out. But other than that, I don't want to see it end up on one of the cable, one of the cable pay channels. Because you're right. I just think that they'd be releasing it for those minimal that minimal number of subscribers and then other people waiting to see it pirated for the internet yeah. or just... Wait for the Blu-ray, which you should have done to begin with. Yeah. Uh, last bit of directorial, and I I think we have to discuss it, is Edgar Wright walking away from Batman. It's... Due to creative differences. He's been attached to this thing forever. It's my understanding he was the, one of the reasons that they went with Ant-Man, was his vision of what Ant-Man could be. He's been on Ant-Man from the get-go. Right. It, it seems crazy um, that he would I walk mean, away at this point. What are these differences? This is uh, this is fresh news too, so there's not a whole lot. Anything we're talking no, about? No, no, it came out yesterday. Speculation. Um, I, I I know Patrick Wilson has confirmed it because he put a tweet out that there was big news coming, and then he confirmed by saying, "Yep, the big news I was referring to was Edgar Wright has walked away." Well. I like Edgar Wright. Mm-hmm. I like the stuff he's done with the Cornetto trilogy. I enjoyed Scott Pilgrim versus the World. And the thing is, if you're a Scott Pilgrim fan, I can see yep. why people would. With me, um, you know, I don't care about watching an hour and a half movie about a hipster douche. It wasn't about a hipster douche. It well, it's Star Wars. That's enough. I can't watch an hour and a half of Michael fucking Sarah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know... It, this is going to be one of those ones that will be more interesting to find out exactly what happened in the long right. run. Because, yeah, you, it's easy to sit here and go, if you're an Edgar Wright fan, and go, outrage and, and blasphemy and stuff like that. But has Marvel steered us wrong yet, either? Well, and that's a great call-out. You know, uh, I mean, yeah, somebody, somebody's on the other end going, oh, yeah, they have Thor sucked, you know, something like right. that. But, yeah, come on. Marvel has their vision for better or worse, and I don't think they're going to allow anybody to steer that vision away from where they where they see it going. I mean, we already know that Marvel has this vision out through like twenty twenty eight of of how they oh, want yeah. to do. Ant Man was part of the early bit of what's it called. Tier 3 or round 3 yeah. of their releases, yeah. Ant-Man was part of it. Um, and, and that's the type of character that, as well, that they need to make sure is right. And if, if they don't feel that Edgar Wright is doing what they need in order to get Ant-Man 
to, to have Ant-Man be successful. It behooves these, them to make a move now. Sure. <laughs> these, these smaller characters, and, and to a point, Guardians of the Galaxy falls in here, too. Oh, hell yeah, it does. Um, you know, this is the future. You can only you can only take your Iron Mans and your Captain America and your Thors so far before you know you know are we gonna be sitting here fifteen years from now um, going oh, having a podcast about you know Captain America nine right you know and I'm not of the mind. Well, I, I got to be careful how I word this. I don't want to see the current incarnations of these characters recast. I can live with... Right. I, I recognize that a lot of these characters in the comics have moved from one incarnation to another. Right. That Bucky at some point becomes Captain America, that kind of thing. So fine. If, if that's the reason why they've introduced those kind of characters, Marvel's brilliant shines through again. Right. Um, but the characters themselves, yeah. And I found myself thinking that today and watching the movie is it's really good to get a Logan story that I care about again. Yeah. Because Wolverine, both origin movies, we weren't podcasting on the first. Well, actually we were, but it was early in our stages. Yeah. Last year we definitely podcast on, they were on underwhelming. Wolverine. It was very underwhelming with plot holes aplenty. Yeah. But I, I found myself going, at some point we need to move on from these characters. And Ant-Man was certainly, even though admittedly not one I have any interest in, if your ability is to just shrink down minuscule fine, even though I know there's more to it than that. But it just struck me as kind of crazy that Edgar, who from the get-go had been tied to it, he'd been pitching it from day one, yeah. that he won Ant-Man character. I'll be very curious to see what these differences are because it, it's this movie was well underway. It was slated for next year. Yeah, and I mean all the casting was done around Edgar Wright. But at this point, I'll say in Marvel we trust. We have no reason to think they're going wrong with their current plans. Right. And if that's the if they feel that the new move need to be made, fine. If they're the ones who made the move, we don't know that yet. We don't know. Yeah, we may never know. Right. Yeah. You know? Whatever, you know, I, I like Edgar Wright. I would have liked to have seen what he had done with it. But, uh, yeah, at this point, I have no reason to distrust Marvel and their decision to, to do this. Or, or Edgar Wright's decision to pull away from it. And I think that Marvel will find the right person to, to pick up that mantle. Yeah, totally agree. So. All right. All right, we'll break here real quick, get some freshies, and be back to talk a little uh, abbreviated version of what we watched. Because we haven't watched that much in a week. Right. Come on, Annie. Let's go to the movies. Let's go see the stars. <laughs> Cowboy heroes, cops and robbers, glamour and strife, bigger than life. Sitting in the darkness, what a world to see. Let's go to the So the one thing that's uh, unique about short weeks is that we don't have a whole shit ton of stuff to talk about for what we watch. I got mm. two little things. What do you got? You got one, right? One, unless I really want to include a movie from last year, which I probably won't. Okay. 
well, pain and gain. Oh, so I don't yeah, think it's yeah. I don't think it's Whatever. worthy. Yeah. Pain and gain, better movie than I thought. I'll give it a two and a half. There you go. There's my review. Awesome. There you go. I'll throw on top that I finally revisited a movie from 1979 that I had never seen before, but it was there and I felt like watching it. it was Rock and Roll High School. Cheesy, cheesy stupidity. But it's the Ramones, but, dude. But fun to watch. Yeah. So I, I I remember the movie fondly. What what I did watch this week that was new to me, uh, I had heard through one of the other podcasts that we frequent. Um, not uh, not as if we were on these podcasts, but listen to mm-hmm. um, that. On Hulu was a short documentary, only about 42 minutes long, called Whoop Dreams. I have the day to myself tomorrow. I am plopping down in my living room with my laptop so I can watch this thing. The worse an idea is, the more I want to run with it. Like, if people are like, we should get lunch tomorrow, I'm like, I don't think we should get lunch. That's stupid. I'm going to stay home. But if someone's like, you should go hang out with a bunch of weird people in the middle of nowhere, that sounds like a great idea. We're just filming like all the music, all the stuff that goes on. We're talking to people. It's our first time, so we're like, you know, we're trying to get the our reaction stuff as well. See what we're sure. about. Right? Us right here, we all about motherfucking friendship. Now, two and a half years ago, when we were at Rock and Shock, we were sort of amused by the amount of juggalos that were present. Yeah, I didn't realize... I knew what Juggalos were, but I didn't know what they were with the capital W. I didn't know they had costume. I didn't know that they had language. Yeah. I didn't know they had... Well, all they I don't have language, they have word. Right. <laughs> 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 I, I never had any idea that this existed. Now, to set it up, the Juggalos are a fan base of the Insane Clown Posse. They're the ones that the government right now is trying to say are a gang and right. not a club. Right. Um, which, from what <laughs> I can tell, is a little unfair. Yeah, they're, they're a fan base. I, I, I take them as a fan base because I, I have no evidence of them doing anything illegal outside of their own group of Where they're only people. hurting each other exactly. and they go into it knowingly. Right. So, knowingly they're, and they're not, willingly. They're not going by pulling off drive-bys no. on the fans, of, uh, on the on the Katie Cats. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that movie I wouldn't mind seeing. That would no. be a movie I would see, but you know what I mean. Um, so, every year, now ironically this this apparently doesn't happen every year now because uh, the, I don't know if it was the township that they were doing this at or said shut them down. I don't know what the future of the gathering of the Juggalos is. But up uh, till at least last year, there was a place in Illinois or Indiana, I, I don't remember yeah, I where it Indiana. was, um, where this this group of people, and I'm just going to come out and say straight up that I... That, the majority of these people are not even human. They are sort of a subspecies of human. <laughs> and they would gather at, in this just absolutely remote, wooded area. And they would 
set up their campers and they would fire up their drugs and and just. I thought you were going to say grills. Well, they may, there may have been grills too because there was. It, it's almost like a carnival atmosphere in that they have this big stage, they have food vendors and stuff like that 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 are there selling the stuff. They have merchandise vendors, but this this these people are. Honestly, at least the ones that I saw are the the lowest common. And apologies to our Juggalo listener, the lowest common. So you're assuming thirty three percent of our listenership is Juggalo. Well, you if don't, I'm going you don't on my one of three, well, actually, that that could be true. <laughs> we could yeah. have a Juggalo listener. We could. <laughs> um, a, you have this group of people that a lot of them just walk around in their war paint. A lot of them are into S&M. A lot of them are just walking around naked. It's like, it's, they're, they're dirty. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. just, in, and I, I'm trying not to be extremely judgmental here because whatever, it, it, a lot of it is They're my own ignorance. A, a lot of it's my own ignorance. I don't get that. I, I don't understand what motivates you, even even if you're like this this fan of this band. Because I don't see where the band is really promoting anything outside oh, of their getup. No. You know, they, they dress they dress themselves up with the face paint, the band does, you know, of, of the, the the evil clown makeup and stuff like that. And saying about me, haunted tilt worlds. Well right. To me that's no difference than the way KISS dressed up back in the seventies and eighties. But KISS fans, the KISS Army doesn't do doesn't take it to this kind of extreme by yeah. any stretch. I I'm not going to be I'm not gonna fear for my life walking through the, uh, a group of the KISS Army. This? I wouldn't go to a gathering of the Juggalos, dude. No way in hell. It'd be an interesting social experiment, mm-hmm. but I don't think I'd survive. Right. And, and and that's that's the difference here. The band's not really promoting this. This is just a bunch of... It's their fan base that just... It strikes me that they're, they're not overly educated, most of them. I know there's probably some out there that are, but a lot of them don't seem educated. They don't don't seem like they've got much more than a, a seventh grade education and a job to align with that education. If if they Which have a job at all, very well could be followed up with the question: Would you like fries with that? Yes, <laughs> right. Um, and it's it's but it's fascinating to watch just from the social aspects of this, mm. of seeing these people in this environment, and basically these these four guys that are on this podcast that we listen to, um, they had started a Kickstarter saying if you if you fund this, I will take this group of people. And make a quick documentary of the gathering of the Juggalos. I'll, I'll go out on record and say, we will not start this campaign. No. We are not willing to do this. No. If you want to start us a campaign to go do a Hooters, right. and see if we can survive an entire day of Hooters <laughs> eating wings, <laughs> yeah. we're down for that. Right. Not for the gathering of the Juggalos. No. 
But you know, it, it was a fascinating thing to watch, just from the social the social aspects of it, with these four guys who have absolutely nothing in common with the people that they're there Ooh. to to interact with. Um, and it's it's really just this look into this subset of of our culture of, of people that are in this subset of our culture that is is both frightening and fascinating well, at the same time. The thing is, anything I've seen on the Juggalos, there's something I'm, I'm going to put out two words. Primal and primeval about them. Mm. There's something almost caveman-esque about yes. the way they carry themselves. It's nothing to hear about sexual assaults at these events. Yeah. But it's just seen as, well, you're a chick, you were there, so so right. be it. Right. And the women seem to agree with it, too, which to yeah. me is what's baffling. Yeah. It, it, it's, well, the, the whole idea of race goes away because, well... It's just accepted. You trash each other. Right. Insulting is part of it. Right. Fine. But they they almost devolve. Yeah. And, and just live this life of, for this weekend, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. It is a true example of, it is the Las Vegas commercial campaign to a T. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens at the gathering of the Juggalos, if you survive it, stays there. Yeah. No one cares. No one's going to call you on it. It doesn't matter. Right. Because you were a juggalo at the time, and juggalos all bound together. There's something that, that's, I, I find fascinating but horrifying about it at the same time. Right. I can't imagine sitting through something like this. And I can't imagine sitting down trying to carry around a conversation with a juggalo anyway. But, right. hey, I mean, they're not... I guess not bothering anybody. They're doing their own thing. Right. And oh, I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm not implying that this shouldn't happen. Oh no, and, and you, no point did you? It's just to people that see the juggalos, they may look at it and say, "Oh, fuck those people." It, they're not bothering anybody. Right. Juggalo doesn't bother somebody. They 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 just hang out with their own. Maybe sexually assault somebody who's also a juggalo. <laughs> They keep their juggalo crimes in-house. Right. And, <laughs> but then, you know, it, it was at the end of the week and they'll, they'll see the person they assaulted and say, Hey, eh, you're a juggalo. Oh, you're right. All right. It's all good. And move on. Uh, fascinating watch. Not not a big investment of your time. 42, 45 minutes. It's on Hulu. I don't know if it's on regular Hulu or just Hulu Plus, but I think it's, it's on, on regular, regular Hulu. Hulu too. That that was my struggle is the software I used to run Hulu yeah. required me to log in through Facebook to prove my age, but it didn't give me an option to actually do it. Right. It just brought the loading screen up to do it. So right. it's definitely on regular Hulu. I mean, I'm not giving this any kind of grade from a film no, perspective, kind of so it's not that type of thing. It's just, it's a fascinating watch, and, and, and check it out. It's called... Whoop dreams because that's their terminology. They always see each other and go whoop whoop, which we've seen. We've seen live. Yeah, we've we we've we saw it. the the weird people yeah. in their diapers and binkies and yeah. clown makeup. Yep. All right. Well, I saw a movie called The Angriest Man in Brooklyn. Henry, Henry, stop! <gasps> what? What are you? I ask you, what are you? Are you my phone? My nemesis? Is it necessary for you to torment me to the very end? If you know humility, 
no humanity, no manners. It's just what happened. Now I have to jump. Not even over the water. Wait, I lied about the 90 minutes. I don't have a brain aneurysm. No, no, yes, no, you, you have that. About the minutes, I, I lied, I exaggerated, okay? You, you started yelling at me. You made fun of my cat. He, he died. He jumped out of the window. What? You told me I was going to die in 90 minutes because your cat jumped out of a window? Everybody has a bad day. Please, this is, this is my bad day. And it's uh, it just hit VOD. Starring Robin Williams, Mila Kunis, Melissa Leo, and Peter Dinklage. Uh, basically, it's about a dude who's, well, as you can guess, is the angriest man in Brooklyn, quote-unquote. But he's just an absolute prick. And he goes to his doctor for an appointment, and he goes in angry, and then they're behind by a few hours. So when he finally gets taken in, he unloads on the doctor. And the doctor, obviously the angry guy is Robin Williams. The doctor, played by Mila Kunis, is so frustrated with him. She tells him this something. doctor is, is Mila Kunis. And I that's would, problematic. I would, I would have something wrong with me every week if my doctor was Mila Kunis. Unfortunately, having your prostate checked by her, even though it's Mila Kunis, I don't know if that would make it worthwhile. Yeah, it might. It might. I you, but you can't take Mila Kunis seriously when she's trying to play this kind of role. No. Anyway, to get back at him, she basically tells him he has ninety minutes to live because he has cancer, which is false. It's completely false because it's not ethical. <laughs> and and so it becomes a movie that. It's, it's about a dude who goes to apologize for every bad thing he did. 90 minutes to live? And he falls for this. And there's the problem right from the get-go. There's no doctor anywhere who would ever quote you 90 minutes to live. Right. And this is the whole premise of the movie. And people are loving this film. If you go over the internet, people seem to adore it. And I found myself thinking, nobody... Nobody would call their shot as you have ninety minutes left to go. You felt fine coming in here, but right, you better go apologize to everybody you pissed off over those years. Liar, liar has a better premise than that. And so, literally, it's him going out and trying to make good with all these people he fucked over. Because that's what you would do with ninety minutes left, right? Whereas <laughs> I would say, if I'm only got ninety minutes, I'm going. I'm fuck going this. out at the bar. I'm living the dream. I'm plopping. Out the bar, I'm ordering every drink I haven't had. I'm I'm gonna grope that I'm waitress. Probably, I've never I'm groped. Banging me lacuna. <laughs> Whether or not she wants it, yes. Oh, careful. <laughs> she would. She would because she's the one who lied to you. She will and that's the other piece is it's also her character saying, oh my god, I've just lied to this guy because my day was shitty and he made it worse. So I need to fix this. And her finding her way through Brooklyn to find the dude to make good. Really? It, it, it advertises itself as a dark comedy. I'm tired of dark comedies that when you're 20 minutes in, stop being comedy, stop being dark, and just become person coming to touch with reality. <clears throat> 
I'm tired of it. Yeah. And that's what I'm stuck in a rut of right now with dark comedies. So only the Coen brothers and Bobcat Goldthwait should be making dark comedies. Exactly. <laughs> and, and this movie, you, you find yourself saying, the premise is a little ridiculous to begin with. The way it's playing out is even worse. This movie just really felt... The whole way through, you're like, this is one of those that's going to become a feel-good movie. People coming to grips with what what is right with humanity instead of what's wrong. And as you're watching it, it just gets boring and stupid and you don't buy it. Right. At any point, you don't buy Mila Kunis as a doctor. You don't buy Robin Williams suddenly deciding, I have 90 minutes to make good, so I'm going to. It doesn't work. And Peter Dinklage... Who at some point is is shown as a rabbi, as, as his brother is fascinating as hell. It seems wasted. What's also fascinating is Melissa Leo, who won an Oscar just a few years ago. She's one of those people that if you see her in some things, she can act really well. And you see her in others and you go, can we take the Oscar back? Mm -hmm. She is bad here. Mm. Really bad. As in... Did she mail it in level of bad? Right. And and you, you almost find it laughable to watch her going about things. This movie, I can't in any way recommend. It, there are people who are going to be out there that will like it and claim that they got something out of it. If you can get something out of some belief that you are being told you have 90 minutes left to live and you can go back and make up for everything, rock on. Oh. Doesn't work for me. I, much like Divergent, the whole idea had me check out immediately. On a much smaller scale, the idea alone had me check out immediately. Well, and I, I couldn't buy I've it. I've never really been a Robin Williams guy anyway. I mean, he's done good work. I liked him in things like Goodwill Hunting. I liked him in Dead Poet Society. And I'll bring he up, has done good dramatic yeah, I'll work. bring up a Bobcat Goldthwait film. World's Greatest Dad. He's yeah. awesome at Um there's good stuff there, but you know I can take him or leave him. Ultimately, yeah. I'm I'm afraid this summer with that Jupiter Ascending movie because I like Mila Kunis. I really don't think Mila Kunis is good enough to carry a film. She's not. She's um, not a great actress. She she's good. She's decent. She's fine she's to riding, look at. She's riding the coattails of her looks to some degree. Her looks and one other thing. Her ties to Seth MacFarlane, which well, has worked out there's for There's that. But you, you look at a movie like this. You look at the movie where she was the Wicked Witch in the Oz. Oz, the powerful, great and powerful. And yeah. I thought she was horrible in that. Um, yeah. What's your what's your rating on this? Uh, two out of five. Uh, it, there are people who like it and rock on if you do. I. It just didn't work for me. It was boring and I was checking out immediately. I did get... Did you have any other ones? Or was that it? No, I already discussed Pain and Gain. Oh, I gave right. I did catch it. one more. I was in a documentary kick and one loaded up onto Netflix streaming that I had wanted to see. And it's recently been loaded up. Uh, Dear Mr. Watterson. It's basically about the guy who created Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I was just skimming through last night, and I said, hey, that one's loaded up. Sweet. I'll watch that one. Um, it was really cool uh, because it, it 
for my money, Calvin and Hobbes is still one of the greatest comic strip creations. It was of all a great time. social commentary. Um, yeah, and and that's really the angle that this documentary takes is about how Bill Watterson and Calvin and Hobbes influenced not only other creators in what they would go on to do, but people who were religiously reading these Calvin and Hobbes comics and, and how a lot of the commentary in just this little cartoon strip really resonated with them in, into real life. And Watterson is, a, is almost a recluse. No, he, he retired and just walked he away. He retired, walked away, and even when he was in the in the midst of, of doing what he was doing, yeah, he, he was he was available, but he never succumbed to merchandising mm-hmm. and 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 doing other things that you know, when you look at other other great cartoonists like Charles Schultz, um and uh Jim so I don't remember who it was that uh, did Garfield, um but guys like that who probably made more money off their freaking merchandise mm-hmm. than they ever did off of, of creating their strips. And Watterson never did that. He, he wasn't he wasn't interested in, in doing that stuff. And to this day, you, you don't see Calvin and Hobbes. No, the anymore. only things you ever saw were the collections of his work, yep. which everybody was buying, but yeah. that was it. Right. I mean, that was already covered. It was, right. it was literally just a, 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 a collection of the past year's worth of work. Right. So, so what this is is just basically, it's mostly a collection of other comic creators talking about their influence, how how Watterson influenced them, and some other people just you know talking about their favorite things about Calvin and Hobbes. Mine personally was always the uh, the Evil Snowman. Were, were oh, some dude, of the greatest there was stuff. one where he was actually. He created a snowman who was going to jump off the ledge, being the second floor. And he had the snowman down in the bottom looking up like, oh, is he going to do it? That thing was just awesome. Oh, and and just the characters within the characters. Spaceman Spiff and and the dinosaurs that were the teachers and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. It it was absolutely brilliant He got kids' imagination nailed. And that's what's what's great about it. Um, Again, it's a documentary. I'm not going to really grade it on any kind of filming merit because it really is a lot of headshots of people talking about Calvin Mm -hmm. and Hobbes and some, some artwork, flipping through pages of artwork and stuff. But if you if you're a fan of Calvin and Hobbes, this was uh, it was an entertaining watch. You, there, Bill Waterston does not show up in any degree in this thing. Really? No. Um, it, it's basically a guy who was fascinated about Bill Waterston um, and just wanted to talk to other people about him and about how he how he influenced them and influenced this medium. So uh, it, it's fine. I mean. Some people, to to that end, some people may think it's kind of boring, but if you're a fan of Calvin and Hobbes, it's certainly an essential essential watch. And if you've never read Calvin and Hobbes, do yourself <laughs> well, a favor, got, read it, problems. you will become a fan. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll break here and we'll talk about X-Men. Yes, sir. Days of Future Past. What's the last thing you remember? I had a glimpse into the past. 
to have to do for me what I once did for you. You'll need me as well. Side by side to end this war. Before it ever begins. So, wake up my young body and then what? Find me. Convince me of all of this. It's going to take the two of us. And where do I find you? A different path. A darker path. Logan, I was a very different man. Lead me. Guide me. Be patient with me. Patience is my strongest suit. X-Men. You're a fan of the franchise? You're a fan of, uh, fan of the X-Men? I will admit to not having read many of the comics, and I was not on the animated series that so many people were and gained their love of. Yeah. Um, the movies, yes and no. I've always thought the original X-Men movie, as much as I liked it when I saw it, it's a bit overrated at times a bit boring X2 to me is the the movie that they all should be judged against but yeah I that it, yeah it is I, what it is I'm the same way I, I mean I I am not well schooled in the canon of the X-Men yes I know I know the major players yeah. I couldn't tell you where they all fall in the timeline and, and who the originals were and stuff like that but an X-Men fan will tell you oh certainly <laughs> certainly um, and a couple of years ago when X-Men First Class came out, was, you know, pleasantly surprised, um, at what we were given there. Yeah, that was it a solid out, story. Turned out to be a solid story, good actors. And I and, love the ties to history that kind of gives it a good spot to work with. Right. Um, yeah. you know, some of the, some of the X-Men fanboys were not pleased in, in that you had characters that weren't original X-Men that right. were were rolled out there so here we are brian singer back behind the camera for x-men days of future past and i'll say straight up that whoever the fuck is behind these spider-man things needs to step back take notice that this is how you do a franchise you right you can do a superhero movie and give characters we care about and a plot we care about mm. You, you, your villains can have a reason for, for being a villain, not just, oh, I, you want me? You want to see me? They saw me? Right. Magneto as a character is so fascinating to me because he vacillates. At no point can you ever call Magneto a villain. 
Not if you've watched any of these things. If you're a human, you could say, well, he's out against us. Fine, but his point of view is he's trying to protect the mutant race. Right. And from his point of view, nothing he's doing is wrong. I get that. It, it makes perfect sense, and I completely understand yeah, you how argue you can that have he this. And everything he does is based off of self-defense. Right. And not, you know, not evil. Or, if, well, you know, he did... Right. It's called a, pr a preliminary strike against what he knows we're going to do. Right. And it makes the character that fascinating to me. Uh, um, yeah, it... I would argue that the storyline alone, the entire plot we're given here, mm -hmm. 10 minutes of it is more than we ever got in The Amazing Spider-Man oh, 2. yeah, absolutely. The amount of effort put to make this work was just unbelievable. Right. It, it, didn't, it didn't just jump haphazardly from this to this to this to this and not explain those pieces. Every time something came up here, they took a step back for a minute and they allowed a, a, a cause and effect mm -hmm. thing with all of these characters. You felt the emotional weight behind uh, prof young Professor X or, or, or Mystique or whoever. You felt that emotional consequence that they were feeling. You felt the tug at, at what they were doing weighing on them every single right. thing they did. And that, and and it was simple enough to where it gives enough weight and enough depth to your characters that we give a shit about what's happening. Not to diss the Amazing Spider-Man two anymore, and or the, but it just hit me the difference of watching these these two movies. The Amazing Spider-Man two is like watching a movie, and and you'll get the reference. Some people won't. The old days of the Viewmaster. When you popped your Viewmaster slide in, and there were ones that were just photos of Washington. But there were ones that were telling a story. And you pretty much were filling in the blanks. Here's a snapshot of a character doing something. Here's a snapshot of a character doing something else. And, and as a kid, you'd fill in the blanks. But at no point did you ever say they're building a story here. Right. You were still looking at photos. And the amazing Spider-Man... Their Viewmaster approach to movie making. Yeah. They give you nothing to go with, just shots on a screen. You go, well, okay, I'll plug off on the blanks. This movie felt complete in terms of storyline. I, I got it. I understood where we were from, what the intent was, where we we're going to, and any changes, and there were plenty that came along with the storyline, any permutations, I understood it. I got where the characters were coming from. And I also started to appreciate how they would react to those situations. Mm -hmm. And it made for a complete film from a superhero movie, which to me is crazy. And, and, and that's no knock on Marvel, because Marvel's done a great job with it. But this seemed like they were upping the ante a little bit to me. X-Men never feels to me like a superhero movie, though. I it would feels agree. like a comic book movie. But it doesn't feel like that they're that they're necessary that their intentions aren't to sit around the the uh, the police scanner listening for where they and, can go. And the go difference help. is in, in every X Men movie, it's not like you have one superhero that you're following mm -hmm. and one one quote unquote supervillain. And I'm putting quotes again because of Electro. Um, here you have a whole group 
that are defending themselves or attacking or whatever. And, and they're trying to find their place within society, whether or not society will accept them. But they also don't get along, and it's kind of that interplay that, right. the, that the movies deal with, and the comics themselves. And it, it's what makes it such an interesting watch if they give you the right story. And maybe you've just nailed why the Wolverine movies, for the most part, don't work. is because in order for an X-Men movie to work, we need X-Men. Not a singular one. And a singular one almost plays out like, so you're giving us a superhero story. Fine, right. then follow a superhero arc right. and not a regular X-Men type arc. Whereas a lot of the Wolverine movies try to follow an X-Men arc with one hero and it doesn't work. Right. Um, I even like, when you think about heroes and villains here, that you know the villains in this either come from within them their own circle or mm -hmm. you look at somebody like Dinklage's character here as uh, uh was it Trask? Yeah, it was Trask. Um who who you could you would certainly align with the villain side of things, but he's not one of these overfabricated villains like no. Electro and things like that. He's just a guy with with a lot of money and a vision and that backfires on him. Well, and that's the that's a great call out. They even make a point of saying it's not that Trask created the Sentinels is the problem. Right. It's that he created the Sentinels, he added the DNA piece, and that had them start being able to get way further into their development than Trask right. ever saw. Right. Um I I love the casting choices that they've made for mm -hmm. this franchise though um you know i think mcavoy is is perfect he's awesome as young professor x fastbender is great, as great as as... you get a lot of jennifer lawrence in this flick which that's never a bad thing no and it's also understandable because if they're going as much as i just as i've just trashed the idea of the spinoffs mm -hmm. mystique is in theory a character you could spin off because they 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 take great pains in this movie to say that she's special even yeah. among X Men she's special right it, well I, and this movie comes right from the comics so it, it's the canon's there but she's fantastic casting in it and, and they, yeah like you said they've done a great job of giving us people that we actually want to follow. And right. characters that we want to follow. They, they, there isn't any of them, especially here, that I found myself not caring about. Which is different from the earlier movies. Because in each of the early movies, a, a great example in First Class is uh, Zoe Kravitz's... Uh, what the fuck's her... Not Firefly. She's one of the wings. A wasp? Uh, what is she called, wasp? Are you talking about which, which movie are you talking about? First, uh, first class. Yeah, she was wasp. Awful character. I thought wasn't that wasp? Yeah, maybe, and because in uh, X three uh, X Men uh, the Last Stand, the annoying character is Angel. Awful right. one in that, and th there's certain ones in each of them that just play off, uh, play off as cast off. Here, they don't treat anything as if they're a cast-off. Right. Which, early on, I thought they were going to. With the intro, when they showed Halle, Halle Berry coming out of Storm, I'm like, 
So your way of dealing with the audience is going to be to give her no lines whatsoever. And actually, she becomes integral later on right. in a great way. Right. And that, to me, is a testament to what they've done here, too. Everybody seems to have a key piece to play in the storyline. Right. We weren't yeah, given... Nobody's wasted except for Anna Paquin. That was kind of Sucky. funny. Sucky. That that was really funny. I'm like, so did you bring her in from her casting of episode eight of the final <laughs> season of season of True Blood? Just to, uh, to yeah. I get it though, because yeah. in the first X Men movie, Logan's relationship with Rogue was key to him staying around. Sure, but still, it did kind of feel a little unnecessary here. Right. Um, I I am not. An Evan Peters fan. I loved him here, and and the scene with Quicksilver in the time the, in the gun bottle, shot. the time <laughs> in the bottle scene is currently the front runner for my favorite scene oh, in the film well, this year because it was it was not only funny as hell, it was executed. So well, all you have to do is ask the dude who's sitting behind us. It well, was funny as hell, right? Yeah. <laughs> But it was executed so well. That was fantastic. And, and he, he just offers a good 15 minutes of just this comic relief to this thing. And I thought he pulled it off brilliantly. I found myself, though, thinking, if this dude has this level of talent, why are you not bringing him along with you? You can use this level of ability. Yeah. You've yeah. got your own private jet. He's watching you get on it. It's yeah. not like getting through a checkpoint. Bring him with you. Right. He saved your asses here. Right. But yeah, you're right. I, yeah, I'm he, not Devin Peters' They guy. just sort of dispatched him very quickly. After and, and, yeah, it was... Part of me wonders if the Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy piece, if they, they had to introduce him. But this wasn't a tacked-on introduction. This wasn't Thor with Hawkeye being right. the guy that had him. I got him in my sights. Yeah. Oh, now we see Hawkeye great. Yeah, he was... He was, he was integral yeah. for the time he was there. Right. And he was sought out solely for it, which was a great spit of scene. Oh, I thought it was great, though. <laughs> he was really good in this. Yeah. No, it, what we were given here has... To me, it was just, like I say, a, a complete storyline. It, it You had villains. You had... A whole storyline, a, a whole idea of what's right, what's wrong, and what way should they go. Right. And and I love the fact that at the beginning it gave us uh, Charles and uh, what's Magneto's real name? Uh, uh, Eric. Eric. Working together again, even though I guess here Char- uh, Dr. Xavier and Magneto is the way they're working together. But along the way, the wrinkles are thrown at you on how Eric is going to respond as compared to how Charles is going to respond. And it made it just fascinating to me that they really went to that depth of the storylines. That they got into, again, the reminder. What has gotten us to this point in history with the X-Men is Charles being the, the, the humanist all, of, all, all the time. It's all about how people are going to react after they see something. Yeah. That everybody, I think they keep quoting the line about the misstep. That everybody has one, but is it just a singular, a singular thing? You can't judge them for the one. Whereas Eric has always been, they did this to us. They did this to me, which means they'll do it to us. Which means we got to beat them at the game first. Mm-hmm. And it meant, it, it made for such an interesting story. And 
I was kind of surprised with the way things started playing out as it went along. Because early on, I'm thinking, well, the, the, so what we're going to be given is Trask is building the Sentinels, and we're going to be dealing with those things all along. That's not what we had Money yeah. Search of the Imagination, no. which the trailer even made you believe was all about the Sentinels, which right. looked great. Yeah. But it's not about that. It still remains an X-Men film, which is perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't about battling the Sentinels. It was about stopping the Sentinels before they even are created. And that's where you get this whole Days of Future Past. You get this, you know, this time travel element. And I thought the way, about the only way they could pull it off, and it was brilliant in how they were able to give you parts of the old cast and how that yep. meshes with this new cast. You know, it's it's not about uh, Patrick Stewart as Professor X and James McAvoy as young Professor X actually meeting up in the same timeline and stuff. And you have to see it to, to appreciate it. But I thought it, it was great the way they did it. I mean, mm -hmm. this is this is written well. There are no... What, you know, I've, I saw the movie two hours ago. So I, on the surface, I don't see any plot holes here. Uh, I can't. I can't think of any. I stuff. have one. What, what did you get? And it's minor. I need to read the original work. Was Trask a dwarf? Oh, I don't know. Why would that be a plot hole, though? Because why would you have a dwarf who is suffering from mutiny, uh, mutinism? Be the one hunting down mutants. Uh, Would they not turn their sights on that? Nah, but you, you're you're so you're implying that just being a dwarf is 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 it makes him a mutant. Yes. Well, so what? So his his power is being small. <laughs> he, the, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're using mutant by X Men terms. Yeah. Scientifically. Dwarfism is a mutation. No, I, we I, call it that. I get that, but when we think so, about, about X Men mutants, we're not thinking about. I found myself struggling with casting Dinklage in this role as the guy hunting down mutants was fascinating because uh, at some point would the government not turn on him? I think that's your issue. I don't think that that. I don't wow, think, that just no. I, I think I, I don't it, mean it like that. I mean, I mean. I don't think of that of, of a normal human biological anomaly like dwarfism and, qualifies and in the same category the way put it as this. an X-Men. Maybe this is where the term mutant becomes problematic with X-Men. Because we call anything in DNA a mutation that's mm -hmm. not normal. Dwarfism, mm -hmm. this ugliest chick in the planet mm -hmm. is a mutant. And mutant in X-Men films is something completely different. I think you're taking way too literal of a, of a terminology there. It, it could be. I just found myself struggling with it. And that's why I need to look at the, the source material. Yeah. Because if, I found it problematic that anybody who suffers... That, that, that is a dwarf looking for mutants becomes troublesome. Just my own opinion. Right. No, I understand what you're saying. I yeah, I don't. I, I, I thought don't think, Dinklage was awesome here. I, don't think I, I want any intention. I love this thing of Dinklage all of a sudden now getting these cat these roles. He's fucking awesome. Right. It, it, I just found it weird that this is such a big role. He doesn't have to be a leprechaun. <laughs> well, there's elf. that. He doesn't have to be the imp every time right. you see him cast. Right. 
No, he was great here. And I, I, I definitely believed everything he was saying. I mean, the way he carried himself, it, his, his whole approach to it was, look, I'm trying to defend humankind. Now, in the background, we know he's also trying to make a buck. But his pitch that mutants are the, the, the real problem here, mm-hmm. let's deal with them, it, it, I don't know, it just really worked for me. Um, the effects? I thought the effects... Pull, pulling RFK up off the off its foundation and throwing it on top of the White House? The only real struggle I had with the effects was after RFK had been dropped around the White House. I found myself... that There was one scene where they had Beast changing. That looked really CG. Really, really badly CG. Overall, I didn't mind the effects. I, I thought they actually did a pretty good job. The CGA, CGI was, for the most part, seamless. But I that was the one shot that bothered me. Now, I was happy to, know, to, to see that they didn't do many shots of JFK flying across the, over the city. Mm-hmm. It was just a few shots like the little girl that was carrying like a lollipop or something. She stares up and you see the shadow being cast off. Well, that's another thing that I I absolutely appreciate about this is that this is a a movie that's way more about its characters than Mm -hmm. it is about its spectacle. Right. Which, again, you could look at... You could even... I would even argue that that's where a lot of the Marvel movies will fail to some degree is that at times, yes, you have good characters because you have good writing behind the characters... But you're still you still get very caught up in the spectacle of things. The Winter Soldier, most of that movie, I it was the not Winter about Soldier. Captain America. It was about Steve, right? And that works perfectly, right? Because the story was interesting enough that we cared. Right. Most of the, most of this movie was about them not as X Men, right? But as people. Trying to deal with this issue yes. that's going to hunt X Men down later on, right. and it really, really worked well. It, now, granted, it helps that we get the people involved. We and we understand that they're mutants and they have something to gain from stopping this "quote unquote" menace that's going to happen. But when it comes down to it, we're still dealing with people. We still got Logan being Logan. We still got Charles Xavier being Xavier, uh, Charles Xavier. We still got Raven being Raven. In fact, that's key to this movie: yeah. is that Charles knew Mystique when she was still Raven, mm-hmm. and that plays out. Um, the humanity of it all is not lost on these movies. It's right. not just trying to be a spectacle of big good guy against big bad guy, right? And thus, it is one of the better uh, comic book blockbusters that I've seen in quite some time. Yeah, it it, it definitely lends itself for another viewing. Um, it it I'm amped to see it again. Period. I want to right. see it again while it's still in the theater. Um, and. and I don't find myself looking at it saying there's a whole lot of plot holes either, which is kind of nice. That was my point. Yeah, I don't, you know, amazing what happens when you focus on your characters more than than what your characters are doing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, And, and, and infusing your story with some cause and effect and, and consequences for actions and, 
and human drama and emotion around what what they're going through. Just brilliant how that all sort of works itself out. Now, here's a, 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 an interesting question. Yes, so I would, would date Jennifer Lawrence. And she would date you too. She so would. She, she would. I know she would. She'd think you were a trade-up. Um, From Nicholas Holt? She's God, she is dating Nicholas Holt, isn't yeah. she? Whatever. She'll All right. leave him for me eventually. Oh, yeah, you, you're... I'm a specimen. <laughs> you're a way better figure than than he is. Right. So, no. Uh, so, does Marvel ever look at what's happened with the Spider-Man franchise? What do you mean? With with the current incarnations. When, what does Marvel? What do you mean by does Marvel ever look at it? Does Marvel take a look at the Amazing Spider-Man and say, if only we had that franchise truly as our own to do what we want to? Because they, Marvel oh, Studios, Marvel kind of would love to, to have that. Um, but Marvel would love to have all their properties back. And, but as, as a said, fan, I would love them. To- now, admittedly, the X Men franchise is also prior to Marvel Studios being Marvel Studios with well, a capital M S. It's 20th Century Fox. But I, I would, I, I'm watching the movie thinking 20th Century Fox is saying. Marvel Studios is getting it light, right. Let's stay true to what they've done. At no point as I'm watching a freaking Spider-Man, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man movie, do I think Sony is feeling the exact same thing. Sony's saying, well, we're going to make some money on this thing. Exactly. And it's completely different. If you give a great effort on a superhero slash comic book movie, you're going to make money. As we saw when we went to the first showing of the day, we got in there, what, 15 minutes before the movie began, and it was pretty damn busy. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't have to just go for Flash. You can give a story and still have comic book guy turn out. And I, I think that's what Sony doesn't get. Marvel Studios certainly gets, in 20th Century Fox, at least Bob to. We got a great story here. We got great characters. It was entertaining. I I, I didn't feel like we were there for two hours and twenty minutes, no. which we were. Right. And it was everything you could ever ask for in a summer blockbuster. But it also had character, which a lot right. of people don't seem to care for, and I do. Oh, uh, yeah. it was a fantastic time at the theater. Absolutely, I, I four and a half out of five for me. Easily four and a half out of five. Yeah, this uh, this may easily have supplanted Captain America as my favorite movie this year. I think um, for me, and I loved Captain America. I, I enjoyed the hell out of Captain America. But yeah, I think from a uh, all encompassing look at a movie, from from characters to action to to everything that was going on, yeah, I, I there was. Captain America still had a kind of a singular plot line you followed. It, it was well, what it was. you got to remember, too, that Captain America also has to take into consideration a lot of other vehicles. Right. It's got the X-Men Avengers is, in the background. It's its own vehicle right. that, it can, that it can zero in on. Which is interesting at the inclusion of Quicksilver here. Yeah. Because Quicksilver isn't the next Avengers film. Which which is interesting in that okay so so who owns this character? You know we talk Evan about Peters how, is playing him in both, right? No, I don't think he's playing him in, in Avengers. I thought he was. I don't think he is. I don't know. I could be wrong. 
I, I didn't yeah. think he was, but but yeah, if you can if you can do that crossover, I you know then then what's the deal here? I I don't know, but um, you know the post credit scenes, which a lot more people stayed for this time than I would expect. I, yeah, I was actually about but, to make a know, comment about that. Half, that's where people mass evacuate. Still them. half the half the audience leaves, and and I guess if you're if you're a hardcore. X-Men comic person, you, you maybe you got something out of the Oh, contest. you're right. Actually, it's a reunite of uh, Godzilla people. Aaron Taylor Johnson oh, right, right, right. is Quicksilver. Um, you know, maybe if you're a hardcore X-Men comic reader that the, the end credit scenes meant something more to you. It really, if you're not, it's just sort of like, well, okay, that yeah. was cool. I don't really know what the hell it means. Right. But you know, it, the way I still, took it is X-Men have been here forever. It right. could also be, no, this is something else entirely. Right. This is some other connection to a movie that's yet to happen. Right. But stay for the end of the credits. People. That's a Marvel just, film. Just you know you're going it. to get something. Do it. Um, all right. There we go. There so we four go. and a half out of, a uh, 4.5 out of five. Good shit. We both say it. See this movie. Yeah. Good shit. Even though... Your wife and kids saw it in 3D and said it wasn't that necessary. They said it wasn't that necessary, which I wouldn't expect it to be. No, I didn't see that much here that made me think 3D would make a difference. Most 3D flicks are not worth the upcharge. So just see the movie, don't care whether or not it's in 3D. Right. So, in a few weeks, I don't know what our next one's going to be about, because that really feels like the last of the major blockbusters until Transformers, which isn't until the end of June. Right. And I know we're not going to wait that long to podcast, so we'll have to figure out what we're going to do in between now and then. But I can see another podcast in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I would assume two, uh, probably two to three weeks. We'll, we'll drop something. We'll probably, I'm sure we'll discuss uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West as a what we watched at that point. Yeah, hopefully. But uh, that's it. All right, but late.